Hi, Pastor Chad Tucker here from Doxa Church in Burlington, North Carolina. To learn more about our new ministry and to find out about how you can partner with us, visit us online at doxaburlington.com. That's D-O-X-A Burlington.com. We hope you enjoy the message. But we're down uh, to John's instructions to write what you see. Remember, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He is older now. In fact, he's the only living apostle. He has been um, arrested for the sake of of, uh, his testimony in Christ. And he is on the Isle of Patmos. And we see this in verse 9. And it's there that the Lord Jesus comes and meets him and commands him. And we've seen this several times. There's only one place in the book of Revelation that God says, do not write. But the other times he says, write and write what you see. So let's read Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. And following, I, John, your brother and partner uh, in the affliction, kingdom and endurance. That are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And these are seven specific churches, and we'll learn more about these churches when we get in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 when we, when we study the letters to the seven churches. But they're the churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So the last couple of weeks we've kind of been focused on write what you see. And then now in verse 12... He says, then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. So you could entitle this section, which was going to be today and at least next week, maybe one other week. um, And when I saw. Because John's life is changed when he saw what he saw when he turned, which we know because we've read the Bible before, he saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So what I thought we would we should do today, and um, you'll see the significance of it as we get towards the end of this message. I thought that we would look at some who have seen post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And I think it would be important for us to see how they responded. How they responded to seeing the Lord after His death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we'll learn some things along the way that will help us here in Revelation chapter 1. They're probably baffle us today because we're setting the table today for where we're going next week. And um, so to get started with this, I'd like to invite you to, to go to John's Gospel chapter 20. John's Gospel chapter 20. And here is uh, uh, on Easter Sunday morning, if you will. It's Resurrection Sunday. 
And in John chapter 20, we're going to see a couple of people here that you're going to be familiar with and just kind of walk a journey through a couple of these people and see their reactions and responses to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 20, verse 1, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene is uh, the first person that I want to uh, look at. Mary Magdalene is uh, Magdalene is not her last name. Uh, Magdalene is, is she was from Magdala, so it'd be Mary of Magdala. There are many Marys in the Bible. It's a very popular name then as it is now. You had Mary, the mother of Jesus. You had Mary of Bethany, whose sister was Martha, and this is Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene. She came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been removed from uh, the tomb. In fact, she is the first woman to see the resurrected Lord. So let me introduce you to Mary just a little bit and see how valuable a woman she is to the kingdom of God. She's mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, many more times than most of the apostles, by the way. Uh, In a culture that greatly diminished the value and role of women, God saw fit that Mary would be the first to see the resurrected Jesus. She must have been a special person. But she didn't start out that way. In fact, if you would, you can hold your place there in John chapter 20. We're coming back, but go with me if you would back to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and let's take a look at who this woman is. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, After he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with him. The twelve would be the twelve disciples, and the group that was with him, whether they were all together or not, were known as the twelve. So even later when Thomas is gone on one occasion and Peter is gone, the group was still called the twelve, though all twelve of them were not present. It became kind of the designation of his disciples um, who walked closely with him. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene. Now look at what it says about her. Seven demons had come out of her. Now I think that God was really gracious in His Bible to not give us more information and detail than that. That's all we know about her past. But it says enough when you understand the others in the Bible who were possessed by demons. For example, there was a man possessed by a demon and he ran naked through the cemetery. 
there were others who would try to throw themselves and commit suicide and things along those lines. There would be a lot of things. You can imagine for a woman to be possessed not by one demon, but by seven demons that had a hold of her and controlled her. The things that she would have been led to be engaged in. The horrific things that had been done to her and the horrific things because of their possession that she herself had been involved in. God is gracious to not give the details and He is gracious to do that, but you can assume that she possibly had some physical scars. I don't know anyone in Scripture that that was possessed by a demon that didn't throw themselves down and, and, and do the things that they would do. So certainly there would be some physical scars there. Most likely there would be emotional scars and other types of scars that would go along with a lifestyle of having seven demons there. And somehow, some way, she met the Lord Jesus. And when she met the Lord Jesus, He kindly and graciously saw the woman that she once was before those demons came in and the woman that she could be and He delivered her from not some, but all of the demons that she had. And Mary's way of showing gratitude is the same way that you and I should show gratitude. She followed Him all the days of her life. In fact, Mary Magdalene traveled with Jesus and His disciples. There was never an inappropriate relationship. I don't care what the latest History Channel event tells you. There's never any, any indication in Scripture. Jesus was not married. And if there was ever any inappropriate relationship with Mary or otherwise... Uh, any woman for that matter, then he would have ceased to be able to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But she did come along with him. In fact, she stayed with him even when the disciples fled at the cross. For example, go back to Matthew chapter 27, if you would. Matthew 27 Jesus has been placed on the cross and there's been he spent six hours on the cross, three hours in the darkness, three hours in the light. Jesus had seven saints from the cross and all seven of those saints came when he was in the light, either before or the few that he said after light, but he was in total silence and darkness and we have talked before about the darkness over the cross. But when Jesus was arrested, the disciples fled from him. Peter followed at a distance, but then ultimately cursed him and fled as well. So the disciples all would have watched, certainly would have seen Jesus on the cross um, from a distance, except for John, who was who was there. And when it was evening after Jesus had died, chapter 27, verse 57, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. 
And look who was there. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. So you can find in the Gospels that she was there at the cross and here she is here facing the tomb. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again, so give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him and tell the people he has been raised from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. So here's Mary in this huge, probably 2,000 plus pound stone rolled in front of the grave of Jesus. And she's there on the outside. It was protected by a Roman guard, sealed so that no one could enter. And there's chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There's a violent earthquake because the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. Now notice his appearance. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The uh, angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So they departed quickly to go get the other disciples. And that's where we pick up in John's account in John chapter 20. Both Matthew and John share that Mary Magdalene was the um, first woman to see Jesus out of the tomb. And we see, and as we've looked just a minute ago, John chapter 20, verse 1, first day Mary was there. We now look down at verse 11. Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Now, I don't know how he said that. But you know, they spent the last, from the time that he delivered the demons out of her until he was on the cross. Jesus would have a certain way that he would call her name and certainly one that when she would be familiar, she would say, that's him, just like Jesus. He said to her, Mary, turning around, something in the way that he said it 
revealed his identity to her. Because it says she turned around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And what was her response? She wanted to cling to him, didn't she? Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I'm sending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So what was Mary's reaction in seeing the resurrected Lord? It was a reaction of wanting to cling to Him, right? To hug Him and to hold Him and to bow down and worship. It was, it was, it was her. It, Jesus was one whom she loved and she had been delivered and saved and given the last couple of years of her life, whatever part she joined in the journey. And to be able to see Him one last time, she, and hear that familiar voice, Mary, calling her own name. She clung to Him and she wanted to be near Him. Well, here in John chapter 20, we also see John's relationship with Jesus. In fact, if you would, go back to John chapter... Let's just go back to John chapter 13. There's some things in John chapter 13 that will help us to see their, their relationship. John chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart from this world to be with the Father. And listen to this. Having loved His own who were in the world. I love this. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything in his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. And next he poured water in a basin and gave us a wonderful picture of the loving servant as he... Before his arrest and resurrection and all of those things, wash the disciples' feet. And he explains the meaning of foot washing, chapter 12 through 20. And notice verse 21. When Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit. Well, go back to verse 18. Um, I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the Scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heels against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Truly, I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me. The one who receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus is predicting his death. He's predicting that, look in verse 21, when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit. He testified, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. 
So here they are. He's instituted the Lord's Supper, getting ready to institute the Lord's Supper. And he looks at his disciples. He says, one of you will betray me. The disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. Now notice the description here of John in verse 23. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved. Look at what he was doing. He was reclining close to Jesus. John was there next to Jesus. He was resting on his bosom. He, uh, of all the disciples, and by the time Jesus resurrected, there were about 500 disciples. But out of those 500, Jesus chose 12. There were other many other disciples, but Jesus took, chose 12, the 12 to be his disciples. And then out of that 12, he chose Peter, James, and John. And Peter, James, and John had a unique relationship to Jesus that the other disciples didn't have. They were able to go to him places that the other disciples didn't go. There were places and miracles that, that he went to. It was Peter, James, and John who was able to go up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and see the glory of the Lord. But even of the three that were the inner circle, there was one and only one disciple in the Bible that is recorded as the disciple whom Jesus loved and that was John himself. So John was so humble about his status and position that he didn't say, I was the one. He just refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And there he was. He was reclining close to Jesus. And Simon Peter motioned him to find out who he was talking about. Can you see Peter? Right? John, you talk, talk to him to find out who it is. We're going to take care of this right now. Now, Jesus wasn't oblivious to what was going on, but you see Peter over there. I love Peter. So he was motioning him to find out who he was. So notice verse 25. What a picture of their relationship. So he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? That was the relationship. That was the relationship that they had. It was a special relationship. Think back to John chapter 20. We're now after the events of the cross and after the days in the tomb and Jesus resurrected, back on Resurrection Sunday. Mary Magdalene, she said they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put Him. Notice John chapter 20, verse 3. At that, Peter and the other disciples went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple... Notice he doesn't say, but I. He says, the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Well, John was also younger. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb 
and he saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded in a separate place by itself. In other words, the body hadn't been snatched by the Roman soldiers because they certainly wouldn't have taken the time to take those clothes off and fold them. Disciples certainly didn't steal the body of Jesus because they wouldn't have taken the time to do that. When Jesus rose from the dead, it doesn't say anything about laying there in a shape or a mold of Jesus and then it just kind of caved in, you know, when the light came in. And somehow Jesus unwraps himself, or the angel perhaps unwrapped him, but he took the time to fold the linen cloth and then even take the face cloth and fold it and lay it there. Some even see in that the return of Christ because this linen cloth would be what would be used around a table, what we would consider a napkin. And so if you're sitting there eating, some see in the folding of the linen cloth. Because what do you do when you go back for seconds? You take your napkin and you fold it and you set it down and you go back to get seconds and then you return. But what do you do when you're done? You throw it down and walk away. So let you read that. Regardless, the linens were folded up and in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in and saw and believed, for they did not yet understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. The disciples returned to the place where they were staying. So here's John. Beloved disciple of Jesus When he saw Jesus, he went back in John chapter 20, verse 21. We'll pick up verse 19 for the sake of time. When it was evening on that of that first day of the week, disciples were gathered together and the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples, what did they do? They rejoiced when they saw the Lord. What did Mary do? She rejoiced when she saw the Lord. What did the disciples do? They rejoiced. Now, I I promise you, they needed those words of comfort from Jesus, right? I mean, after all, you're one of the twelve. You, Peter, have promised you would never leave him, and now you've cursed him and run out, and the disciples, except for John, has fled, and now this one that you abandoned at his point of need at the hour of his death is now standing in your midst. I promise you, he got their attention when he appeared behind that door that was locked. And the very first words would be very important to establish the relationship. What would you do if you were Jesus? Or would you, knowing that all things had been trusted in the Father's hands, and he knew exactly what they were going to do, would he step in and immediately say, Peace be 
Yes, it's a normal greeting. They would extend peace to one another. The peace of God be with you and also with you would be a normal greeting. It's a normal greeting in the church today. Peace be with you and, and also with you. But I promise you on this occasion, it had a little more meaning. When Jesus is the one, after overcoming death, hell, and the grave, is standing there saying, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I also am sending you. And don't you know they rejoiced? Not everyone rejoiced when they saw the resurrected Lord. You notice, let's just look at it briefly. Matthew chapter 28. We walk through this. I didn't draw attention to it because I wanted to come back now. When Jesus died and they placed him in the tomb and they rolled the stone in front of it, remember as we read earlier today that they went and they said, um, somebody's going to try to steal the body. Matthew chapter 27, verse 64. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, His disciples may come steal Him and tell the people He has been raised from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. He says this, You have a guard of soldiers. Now they had temple guards, and temple guards would be pretty brutal whenever they needed to be. There are so many accounts in history that uh, they would guard the temple and the possessions and the things in the temple. But there was nobody that liked the Roman guard. The Roman guard would be the, however, at whatever adjective you would want to do, the the fiercest uh, guard that would guard. And not only not only did they seal the tomb, but notice what he said. They made the tomb secure. And he says, verse 65, You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. They went and secured the stone. Now how did they secure the stone? By setting a seal on it. Now, the seal wasn't that big a deal. It's not like it was concrete that concreted the stone in place. It was a wax seal that they would use. They used it on letters, and they used them there. And what they would do is they would pour the wax, and they would take the insignia ring of the person who uh, has authority to break the seal, and they would imprint that authority on the seal. So it wasn't that the seal itself couldn't be broken. It's just if you were not authorized to break the seal, you were in danger of death. You would not want to be anywhere that a Roman seal was broken and you had no authority to break the seal. So they went and secured the tube by sending us seal on the stone and placing the guard. Chapter 28. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. Now, now look at this. Now remember, these are the big, bad, fierce, brutal Roman guard. And notice their reaction. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they they didn't rejoice and were glad. No indication in this text that they saw the resurrected Lord. They saw an angel. Just go ahead and say it because I always have to say it just to remind you. It's not a little angel that you have sitting in your little tinket shelf at home. I don't think they would have said, Oh, how cute. It's a pet. Can we take it home? They wouldn't be afraid of that. Right? Hey, warrior angels. Angels in the Bible are always masculine. And they're always fierce. And they always have to start with, Be not afraid. It's not cute, pudgy, fluffy with wings in the heart. Be not afraid. Oh, how cute. When they saw the resurrected Lord, saw the evidence that he was gone, the presence of the angel, they fell down as dead. Very different reaction from Mary Magdalene. Very different reaction from the disciples here. So with that in mind, we have a bit of an issue when we come to Revelation chapter 1. And all I'm going to do is read it today. Revelation chapter 1, and just to keep it in context, let's pick up in verse 10. Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze, and as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the voice of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. Verse 17, what was John's reaction? And when I saw him, I rejoiced. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. So here's the question. Why would John, of all the disciples, the disciple whom Jesus loved, 
the one faithful all the way through the point of the cross. Out ran Peter to the tomb. Saw Jesus, yes, fearfully, but saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration pull back his flesh and reveal his Why would he, of all people, when he sees the Lord Jesus on the Isle of Patmos for being faithful to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, have the same response? Not as many men, but as the Roman Beloved, I promise you, there's a good, good answer. And we'll get there next week. We'll get there next week. We just have to set the table today. We've got to come back. You see, we've got a lot that we've got to cover in here. But I promise you, it's going to be worth the wait. Spend some time this week reflecting on that, thinking about it. See what you can come up with. And we'll look at it next week. But the picture is true. We just look at the Gospels. There are certainly two responses to the resurrected Lord Jesus. There are those who rejoice when they see Jesus. And those who are afraid. The difference between those who are afraid of the Gospels and those who rejoice is one thing and one thing only. And that one thing is the Gospel. It's the word repent. Both the disciples and the Roman guards were sinners. Both deserved the judgment of God. But the reason the ones could rejoice and could rejoice is because they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were in a right relationship with Him. It is my desire for all of us, all of you, to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and be rightly related to Him. It's the desire of my heart and the purpose of Doc's Church is to bring men and women, boys and girls, into a right relationship with God. And only God can do that work. And He does that work through us. He does that work through entrusting us with the gospel to take and share to others. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, For I'm now ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Well, do you believe? Have you believed? And are you currently believing? It's the evidence that you're in right relationship with Him. And if you're not, and you say, tell me, Pastor Chad, how do I do that? You recognize who Jesus is, who God in is, and His perfection and holiness. And you recognize who you are and your utter sinfulness and inability to save yourself. 
You stop making excuses for your sin, excuses for your behavior, and excuses for all of those things. And you recognize that Jesus is the only way to salvation. He is the way, the truth, and life, and no one can come to the Father but God. And knowing those things about God and knowing those things about yourself, you cast yourself at the foot of the cross, repenting of your sins, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and asking Him to be your Savior and your Lord, and by faith receiving the gift of salvation that will forever change your life. It will forever change your destiny, not only in this world, but in the world to come. And when you repent and believe the gospel, you become a child of God. All of your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. You are brought into a right relationship with God, made part of the family of God. Why would anyone not want that? Is beyond me. It's mainly because they haven't heard and they haven't seen. And the little G God of this world, Satan has blinded the eyes. Seven Corinthians 44 has blinded the eyes of the young man. But they may not see the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that we see people saved is you pray that God opens their blinded eyes to see Him in His holiness and His perfection and to see themselves in their brokenness and inability to save themselves. And that God saves them. And they repent of their sins. And walk with them all the days of their life. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lord, that's our desire. To see people saved and growing in their relationship and in their walk with God. Those of us who are saved, let's go out and do everything we can to carry the gospel with good news with us and share with as many people as possible, praying constantly. And if you're here and you're not saved, you're listening to this message and you're not saved, Lord, repent. Believe the gospel. Discover who Jesus is as the only path to salvation. Heavenly Father, we love you so much and we thank you. Lord, one day all of us will experience what John and Mary Magdalene and the Roman guard saw. saw. We will see Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, face to face. And Father, I pray, Lord, that when that day comes... The Word says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Father, I pray that we will say so rejoicingly. And we will because we are saved. We're part of the family of God rejoicing and being glad. Father, word to those who have not repented and have not believed. Oh God, draw them to Yourself. Lord, use us as instruments of your hands to share the good news of the gospel. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.